Welcome to the Castro Files. Hi. Good evening. How are you doing, honey? I'm good. How about you? Good. You ready to tell some creepy stories creepy, creepy. tonight? Yes. We've got some creepy stories for you guys. Thank you so much for joining us again um, on our eighth episode. Is of it eighth already? Eighth wow. Eighth episode of the Castro Files. It's going by fast. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some... We've told some pretty cool stories so far. We're going to continue telling some interesting stories, some yes. creepy stories, some strange yeah. stories. You can find us out on the Castro Files on YouTube. You can find us. We post this out to for the audio versions out under the bar is open with Beth and Greg. So go like and subscribe to that. Also on the Instagram. Mm hmm. You can go out to the Instagram. That's where we post all of the pictures and everything that goes along with the show. So right. Very easy to follow along if you're listening on audio. So yes. very cool. What do you have to cover tonight? What are you going to go? I'm going to talk about a Wendigo. What, a Wendigo. It's uh, what it is. Some stories about it. Awesome. Yeah. And I've got some Bigfooty kind of Big stories. Footy? Yeah. From We did a little trip up to Maryland for a wedding and there right. was very specifically one and it's it's not your typical. Yep. Or the typical name, I should say. So, right. Absolutely. All right. Let's jump into this. You good? I'm good. You want me to start or you yes, want to start tonight? Start. You want Go me ahead. to start tonight? Yeah. All right, cool. So mine is the Sykesville Monster, mm -hmm. which is a pretty interesting story um, that goes into it. So I've got three quick, kind of quick things. I want to start out with, this is off of Cryptid Wiki, which I didn't know existed until Right now, right. or like till today when I was researching some of this. So Cryptid Wiki, uh, the Sykesville monster. So Sykesville is in Maryland, and I do have a picture of where it is in Maryland. Give me one second here. Let's see. Okay. Well, evidently it doesn't want to come up today. <laughs> of course, that's how it goes, right? Let's see. There we go. All right, so this is where Sykesville, Maryland is. Mm -hmm. So we went there again, like I said, for, for a wedding. A wedding. Mm -hmm. We were at a distillery of all places to right. hear about this, right? And I've actually got the shirt. It's the Patapsco Distillery. And the, yummy, and the back of the shirt yummy stuff. has actually got a Bigfoot on it, which is kind of cool. So I had to buy the, the shirt. We love shirts Well, once she told you the story, like too, yeah. you were like, I got to have it. Absolutely. So the Sykesville monster is a hairy humanoid from Sykesville, Maryland, which has been sighted since 1970. Description of it is a Sykesville monster is a seven to eight foot tall, hairy humanoid. It is dark brown in color. Cast the monsters, uh, casts of the monster's foot. Uh, footprints were taken, which were 13 inches long and seven inches wide. So that's a fairly good footprint, right? Mm -hmm. So sightings of the Sykesville monster began in 1972. It was sighted by a truck driver who observed it sitting down before it got up and ran into the woods. The truck driver, who remained anonymous, said it would it could have been a man on stilts and seemed to be caked with mud from the waist down. Kind of probably trodden through, right? Well, you he's know, an animal, whatever. So yeah. yeah. Um, in 1981, a man named Lon Strickler was fishing in the Patapsco River when he noticed a stray dog barking at a large clump of brush. Suddenly, a seven to eight foot hairy man emerged from the brush, causing the dog to attack. The creature fought back the uh, fought back the dog, which then ran away. After witnessing this, Strickler drove to the drove to a phone and called the police. While he was initially told to stay at the scene and wait, he was told uh, he was then told to leave once police officers arrived. He returned to the locations hours later, noticing that the scene was taped off, and several state and federal officials were in the area. Hmm. 
Strickler tried to get answers from state officials for several days, but to no avail. He also contacted several news stations about the incident, who were at first interested, but later did not want to talk. Sightings of the Sykesville monster have also been seen in Woodstock and Marriottsville, Maryland. So very interesting. Here is what would theoretically be an image of the, or what, what was d- drawn up as the Sykesville monster. So kind of looks like, you know, the missing link, yeah, as they say would the say, right? Or more caveman-y. Caveman-y kind of yeah. uh, view of them. So it's pretty interesting. Explanation. Following uh, Strickler's encounter, residents are suspicious of the police who feel like they covered up the incident. No records of the Sykesville monsters, monster exist in the police department. The theory wow. of the Sykesville monster is that it is an escaped patient from a nearby <laughs> Springfield State Hospital. Following these rumors, Dr. Fred Pokris, superintendent of the hospital, stated that, quote unquote, none of the none of nothing out of the ordinary has come to my attention. However, he did state that 10 to 12 people have taken unauthorized leave, one or two considered to be dangerous to themselves or to others. Unauthorized leave, meaning they escaped. escaped. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, I mean, it's not a well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting. So. I was able to also find, and this is where it kind of, this is the story, like there's an, an newspaper articles that were written about this back in 72 and 73, right? Okay. So this one is Carroll County, Maryland, Sykesville, later, ni- late uh, 1972, early 1973, quote unquote, hunt still in progress, Sykesville monster interest spreads okay. by Bill Roden. Sykesville, Maryland, the fear and uncertainty that has gripped residents here the past two weeks has been intensified by two new reports of monster sightings received by police Friday. The Sykesville monster was seen Friday evening by an out-of-state truck driver, as I mentioned before. Of high significance is the fact that a 1,400 population town 20 miles north of Baltimore, Maryland, in Carroll uh, Carroll County, has jumped into na- uh, nationwide headlines in national AFRO and other news media. I probably should have Googled what AFRO is. It's probably a channel. Yeah, something or, like that. Yeah. Following the Baltimore Zoo Assistant Director Ted Roth called to say that he went to Sykesville and determined the footprint is by a large human foot with fallen arches. <laughs> I mean, a, a 13... By seven foot. Yeah. That's pretty big. That's a that's big like, human. I wonder what like Le- LeBron James is. I don't know. He's probably got a pretty, he's probably got a 13 inch foot, right? I mean, well, I think. knew somebody who had a 15 inch foot in high school. So, Jeez. Yeah, he was in big. high school? Mm-hmm. He was a monster by himself, right? Yeah. So he said that he would report, uh, he said he would report after he takes another trip to Sykesville to determine what the balance of the body might be. A Baltimore scientific research firm, firm also in Sykesville Checking AFRO callers from educators to the man on the street are on their way to small to the small town. So the truck driver's report, according to the truck driver who requested anonymity, the it in quotes stood approximately seven to eight feet tall. Wow. And appeared to be dark brown in color. Could have been a man on salt. Kind of the story I just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a re- so. Although he was unable to pinpoint the exact location of the sighting, the driver said it appeared to be sitting down. According to the driver, the thing, which is evidently minding its own business, stood, turned around, and sensing danger, dashed into the woods. 
As a result of the AFRO story Friday, an investigating organization, Odyssey Scientific Research in Baltimore, is on the scene. John Lutz, director of Odyssey, talked to the tu- talked to the truck driver and said that there is an additional witness in Anne Arundel, who reportedly saw the monster as well. Talking with eyewitnesses, although reluctant to classify the thing, which has been running loose in Sykesville, Mr. Jutes. J-U-T-Z, did state that at the time, at the present time, his corporation is listing the incident as unidentified prowler until more information <laughs> is gathered and more positive identification, identification can be made. Mr. Lutz added that tape recordings are being made of each witness account in order to form verbal records, which will be studied by veterinarians, zoologists, and biologists. According to Mr. Lutz, the entire incident could be the work of a prankster, it is very possible that a prankster will call the police department and say it was a big joke. AFRO returns. As of Sunday, when AFRO reporters returned to Sykesville, Sykesville's Oklahoma Hill, citizens were hardly joking about the situation, which they feel is very real. Mr. Agnes, Mrs. Agnes Dorsey, mother of the young man who first saw the thing, said that she, that she thought more about or more should be done to affect its capture and or destruction. I know, right? They're taking this seriously, like hunt this thing. It's a mom. That's why. Yeah. They should have gangs of men out looking for it. She said, I hope it's caught. According to Anthony Dorsey, the monster has been seen in Woodstock and Marriott'sville, Maryland, located six miles from Sykesville, Maryland. None with big feet. It's a it's it is rumored that the prowler may be an escaped patient, like I'd mentioned before, according to Dr. Fred Porcus or Pocris, rather, superintendent of Springfield. We have a, always have a certain number of people who leave again, like I would mentioned before. So it goes into this. Even when we were there in Maryland, this is a year ago, right? This is still very much as a, on my T-shirt, right? Right. It is very much part of, of the, the community. lore yeah. of the community. Yeah, the lore of the community. Yeah. And it's a quaint little town, too. It's li- yeah, it's super cute. It's, yeah. It's very... What, um, maybe a half, like the, the little main street, yeah, it's probably, half mile, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and Not older, older buildings. It's very, Beautiful, like, yeah. yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, even the... Um, the distillery we went to was mm-hmm. like originally a fire Firehouse. department and yeah. all of these things. And they do ghost hunts upstairs and throughout yeah. the building. Well, they, yeah, they do ghost hunts throughout the town that start Oops, sorry. Uh, upstairs. Absolutely. So yeah. very interesting little, the, you know, you go the Sykesville monster. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, people were scared. It wasn't probably you didn't have a, social media. Back well, you then, didn't so have you the lore of it. it today too, that yeah. people are like trying to find it, not trying to hunt it out per se. Them, yeah. Out looking for them. Right. Good. The Bigfoot shows. Yes. So now I'm going to get into the known unknown tales of the Yucca man. Okay. The desert has its own version of Sasquatch and it's just as smelly and hairy. Oh, nice. So we'll turn this one off for a moment. There we go. All right. The story you'll hear most often goes like this. So this is Ken Lane, Desert Oracle. This is from 2015. The story you'll hear most often goes like this. There's a young Marine on guard duty in some far off corner of a massive of the massive 29 Palms Desert training base. We've driven by that a million mm-hmm. times, right? He hears an awful sound in the dark, something like a growl. Mm. Then the breathing coming from one side of his lonesome little guard booth and now from the other. It's circling him. He steps out into the dark, his sidearm drawn. 
There it stands, eight feet tall, an unbearable stench from its hairy body, the eyes glowing like red coals. Interesting. Sometimes the Marine is knocked unconscious by the beast and found hours later by the next shift. One version occurs at an old rifle range where the watchman, also armed with a rifle, wakes up from the assault to find his weapon bent in half. Oh, jeez. Since the 1970s, when the Mojave Desert base expanded from its World War II encampment, there have been regular reports of new recruits terrorized by both the Yucca Man and pranks inspired by tales. <laughs> but most sightings of the spectral creature come from campers and hikers at Joshua Tree National Park. Tents have been opened in the night by stinking monstrosities, and there is an occasional large footprint or blurry photograph submitted as evidence. Such as this one. A snapshot from a hidden valley campground has made the rounds for a decade now. The figure bounding over the boulders looks much like the iconic Bigfoot from Patterson-Gilman film in 1967. Remember that one? It's kind of out. Mm -hmm. And it looks like somebody took it with a potato. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And it's just kind of rumming. But it's a, it's a videotape. Right. Right. Since nineteen six, since the nineteen sixties, when the yuck, tales of the Yucca Man and his desert cohorts were commonly reported by Southern California newspapers and television television stations, amateur cryptozoologists and Bigfoot researchers have analyzed the blurry pictures and measured the prints in the sand, all in an effort to document a flesh and blood creature they believe exists along alongside everyday mammals such as bear, ki bears, coyotes, and humans. Hmm. Do you believe in Bigfoot? I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I mean, there's some that really do look like there's creatures, but then there's others. I'm like, that's totally a dude in a costume. Right. You know? Absolutely. So, like, yeah. is it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we've seen some shows where they're trying to find, they find certain stuff, but mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like if everybody's looking for look it, why, why haven't anybody actually found one? Like, Especially nowadays with all the trail cams and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's like, it's, but there's so much wilderness that yes. is just like untouched yes. through Canada and parts of lots of the United States. Right. Maybe not untouched, but vast. Vast. There's yeah. so much. It's just open space, mm -hmm. right? Like the Rockies and right. stuff like that, right? So, I mean, there could potentially be things in there that we, I mean, we find new species all the time, right? Right. Absolutely. So. But the natives who lived in California long before European colonization considered these creatures to be supernatural entities with names that often translated to hairy devils. They took care to avoid the gloomy spots where the devils were often seen. The Tongva people living in, in around the Santa Ana River called the devil's hideout east of the river, east of the river's source in the San Bernardino Mountains, the camp of the Taquis. Talk, pronounced the same as Taquits, known to the Chahula of Aguia Caliente. According to John Reed Swanton's The Indian Tribes of North America, Taquis also sur survives as a site named at the head of the Santa Margarita River at Temecula, Temecula Creek. Throughout Palm Springs in the Coachella Valley, you'll see it spelled Taquits, T-A-H-Q-U-I-T-Z. The angry specter's unhappy home in the region is the cursed Taquitz Canyon. Sometimes the Taquitz or Taquitz has played out, played a role in the creation stories, as in Chahila culture. Other times, and forgive me if I'm 
mispronouncing these. Um, Other times the creature was an omen or simply something weird in the wilderness that should be avoided. To the Kahia, the Takits could be the original shaman. Oh, interesting. And a murderous monstrosity that collects victims from Takits Rock or Lily Rock. Takits also has been said to manifest as large green fireball moving through the sky. Interesting. The coastal and desert community, desert Indians should know the names, should know the same creature is not it, not in itself cause for skepticism. Under various names and dressed in myriad traditions, Yucca Man has been reported to the wilder parts of the Southern California area as long as people have lived there. In Fontana, the that hard and windblown inland empire town. There was a famed racetrack north of Foothill Boulevard called Mickey Thompson's Fontana Dragway. From 1955, the dragway's closure to the dragway's closure in 1972, following a gruesome series of fatal crashes, spectators repeatedly saw something they called the Speedway Monster, huh. assuming to be assumed to be a wild man, resident of the foothills of nearby San Bernardino Mountains. It had the habit of crossing the rural land at the dragway's edge, causing during rate car races that produced horrific crashes. Wow. So this thing would show up and there would be a terrible accident. In the new suburbs of Antelope Valley, encounters with the Mojave Sasquatch reached epidemic levels from the 60s to through the late 70s. As new housing developments in Lancaster and Palmdale pushed into the desert, into the wild desert, and secret technology was tested at Edwards Air Force Base and Lockheed's notorious Skunk Works factory. Interesting, interesting, because remember Skunk Works, Skunk Ape is like a Florida thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there? T- I'm probably drawing some connection. Maybe. The Antelope Valley Daily Ledger Gazette described the common features of the eyewitnesses' reports. In a staff report from June 1973, beneath the headline, Bigfoot surfaces again in Palmdale, Nine Mile Canyon. According to reporter Chuck Wheeler, the creature likes to run around houses and leaves footprints. That is in that is its M.O. in the East Lancaster area where footprints are found around several houses recently were found around several houses recently. One woman reported that the creature ran around her house and scratched at the door. A small boy sent to tell his father supper was ready was found hours later crying near a corral. When asked what happened to him, he answered that the big furry man would not let him pass. Scary. That'd be a little freaky. Southern California encounters were common enough in the 70s to keep multiple Bigfoot investigation groups busy taking reports. In March of 1973, a babysitter and three Marines... Separately, we presume, reported seeing the Sasquatch in Lancaster. Nerves were frayed to the point that the two separate vigilante groups searching for the monster nearly killed each other two months later. According to the files of Bigfoot Field Research Organization, and this is a report from them, in May 1973, a research party in Lancaster attempting to follow up on several Bigfoot reports, was forced to take cover when another party on the same sort of search panicked and started shooting oh, man. when they thought that they were being approached by a large creature. Fortunately, no one was injured. <laughs> yeah, that's getting a little hysteric. Yeah, yeah, right? That's getting a little, a little carried away. Right? 
In recent years, the hair-covered, red-eyed Sierra Highway Devil has been repeatedly spotted by terrified drivers on Highway 14 near the junction of Pure Blossom Highway, always at night, always running along or across the road. The strangest tales comes from Edwards Air Air Force Base itself. The desert base joins the massive Rogers Dry Lake with its miles of smooth, smooth desert runways and its famed for its right stuff test pilots and landings of NASA's space shuttles. There is significant subterranean infrastructure at, at Edwards Air Force Base with the personnel and technology required to keep secret aircraft a secret. Security cameras were always pointed at sensitive areas. According to persistent stories from Edwards, those cameras repeatedly captured images of desert Sasquatch moving through the tunnels by night. Entire families of the hairy monsters apparently traveled the bases, buildings, and corridors. Interesting. Appearing and disappearing at will. And to the bewilderment of the base, police sent to chase after the phantasms. With the report of Edwards... Bobby Ann Slate, that tireless Bigfoot researcher, collected this report from the base policeman who was patrolling the old sled track section of the base where the notorious Thelemite Wizard and Jet Propulsion Laboratory founder Jack Parsons tried out his rockets. (laughs) Heading back to the main base, I noticed maybe 200, 300 yards to my left these large blue eyes. I do not... Hmm. I do a lot of night hunting, and it was strange. They were larger than anything I'd ever seen. The blue eyes had to be about four inches apart, seven feet off the ground. I stopped the truck and sat there watching them. It was too dark to see any body shape or anything. The blue glows proceeded towards my truck at a right angle for about 100 yards and then stopped. So this thing was coming towards him it walked down and cut over interesting as an overpowering stench filled the desert air sergeant house saw the blue huge blue eyes again now just 50 yards the movement of the eyes was extremely fast another thing that bothered me was that they didn't just bop up and down it was like two lights were wire moving from one point to another so just zipping across they weren't like i get it running right a radio call gave him good reason to drive away fast because of the ribbing he'd suffered after filing a report, others in the squadron refrained from making formal statements about their encounters. But the encounters didn't end. Not until 2009 would Edwards Air Force Base officially acknowledge the many incidents with blue eyes. Interesting. 2009 article in the base newsletter inside Edwards, the entity known as Blue Eyes was much discussed at a reunion of the 65-10th uh, Air police squadron officers who worked on the base between 73 and 79 attendees traded memories of their bizarre experiences on patrol, such as seeing blue eyes, the local version of the Yeti near the South base or Marvin of the Mojave. Hmm. They probably had a bunch of different names for it. Yeah. A ghost who could be heard, but not seen and left size 10 sneaker imprints in the sand. The now retired Edwards guard also recalled observing unexplainable objects in the skies. So, I mean, that place is yeah. probably pretty spooky anyway. Yeah. Plus, it's out in the middle of the Nowhere. desert. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, the Desert Rat's motto shared with the Air Force Test Center for which it served was ad inexplorata, or toward the unknown. Kind of perfect for that area. Yes. Right? So, the 
as with the Padres' old stories of hairy monsters living at the Camp of Devils <clears throat> along Santa Ana and Santa Margarita Rivers, written accounts of the mo- of monsters in Antelope Valley date back to the Spanish colonial era. Horace Bell, famed for his role in the Frontier Vigilante Group, called the Los, Los Angeles Rangers, later n- wrote two influential books about life in the mid-19th century. One of those, On the Old Coast, being further reminiscence of a ranger, tells of a shadowy winged beast at Lake at Elizabeth Lake, the deep water hole where Sierra Polona Mountains meet the Antelope Valley. The Sag Pond was created by the San Andreas Fault, and successive generations have branded it, branded this gener- generally welcome geographic feature, ample fresh water in the desert, as a cursed place. Supposedly given its old Spanish name by no less a figure than Juanipro Sierra himself, the Laguna del Diablo held an awful creature, a beast that would fly in the shadows, form over the ranch, over the ranchero from the 1830s. So the winged wraith flew over the Hacienda of Del Chico Vasquez, a man unimpressed by the folklore surrounding the lake. It was his four men who alerted Don to the beast that was thrashing in the mud on the cursed lake shore. When he saw the creature, whether it was in the lake or in the sky or in the air, they never knew. Cattle and horses began to disappear shortly thereafter with the eventual discovery of several carcasses leading to the belief that the devil is in the lake. Hmm. While Yucca Man and its cohorts are often described as huge, hairy, hair-covered humanoids, there are nearly as many reports of shadow beasts lacking any real definition beyond their brilliant, glowing eyes. Often red, sometimes blue, as in the Air Force, Edwards Air Force Base report, such brazenly paranormal entities have much in common with England's Owl Man and the West Virginian Mothman. So, it's... It's this, that's where the cryptozoologist, it's like things that we don't know about, right? right? It's pretty creepy. Hmm. So again, like the Yucca Man is another version. These are all different versions of the same creature. Potentially the same creature, yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I kind of go back and it, it, you know, like I had said, I showed that picture before. Mm-hmm. Is it like a missing link? Is it something different? I think it's. I don't know. I think it's because a lot of people will say it's like um, uh, I'm trying to think of like like there's a genre that the monkeys fall in, like oh like like uh, apes like yeah, great apes a, or something like, like there's that. There's a, a more like it's um, a scientific it. yeah group form. well yeah. yeah and and a lot of people think it falls and it's like kind of a mix of it's right in between yeah an ape you know ape and man absolutely yeah. So again, is it the Yucca Man? Is it the is it Sasquatch? Is it yes. the skunk ape? It's is all it the things. All of those different things, right? It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's my story for tonight, talking nice. about the Yucca Man and talking about interesting. the um the uh Sykesville monster. Yep. What do you you've got a creepy story. I do have a creepy story. Uh have you ever heard of a Wendigo? I've heard of it. Okay. But I don't well, I'm exactly. I'm gonna give you a little background that's gonna tell you a little bit about what it is, and then All I'm right. gonna give you some stories where awesome. they've been included. So, the Wendigo. So this starts off with a description first, okay. uh, and this is from the Urban Legends, Ghost Stories, and Folklore: uh, Haunting and Horrors. Uh, the Wendigo was gone to the point of emaciation. It's 
discated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skins, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition and death and corruption. This is the well-known description provided by Basil H. Johnston of the Ob- forgive me when I say this this <laughs> name Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario and the <clears throat> and the one expert and adaptly captures the physical characteristics that are most commonly associated with the famed Wendigo. All right. There are numerous origins, societies, peoples, and names all related to or connected to the Wendigo in one way or another, kind of like yours. You know, mm-hmm. a different. Places call them different things. Uh, For ancient tribal people to modern cinema and culture, the Wendigo holds a special place in folklore. Its name itself, Wendigo, or its many variations, Wetiko, Wetigo, etc., mean the evil spirit that devours mankind. (laughs) Common among all accounts is that the Wendigo is purely evil, supernatural, uh, supernatural and cannibalistic, having been human after all. Famine, starvation, greed, gluttony, fear, and cold are its most closely regarded allies. Some legends focus more on the speed and cunning of this manhunter, saying that it can traverse any terrain at great great speeds and is at its most dangerous in the bitter colds of northern biomes. Others focus more on its ferocity and brute strength. It is able to grip a man's limb from, uh, I'm sorry, it's able to rip a a man's limb from his torso with nary but a thought. Some versions of this monster, uh, Genesis, describe it as akin to Bigfoot, yet other places say it is in the were family. The werewolf family? Yeah. So while these tales meet a certain need within the niche of folklore and the urban legend, they seem to stray from the very real and very monstrous origins from which the legend truly came. Unlike many fiendish cryptids of this ilk, the Wendigo is set apart not only by its cunning as a hunter, despite its decrepit and emaciated form, but also in its skill to lure unsuspecting victims and infiltrate their minds in such a way as to turn them into Wendigos themselves. So here are some of the legends. The legend is widely known to have begun in the forests of Nova Scotia and the Great Lakes region in Canada and the U.S., specifically Wisconsin, through a few sightings and other stories have been reported from Minnesota and Michigan as well. And it is credited to the Ojibwe East... Oji- you spell that real quick? Yeah, O-J-I-B-W-E. Ojibwe. Ojibwe? Something like that, yeah. Eastern Cree, Mushkigo... Naskapi and Innu tribes with its inception. So Indian tribes, Native American tribes. Um, The Wendigo is a murderous human-like beast or spirit who is often corrupted by greed and gluttony. It was once human, though could never be mistaken for that now. The Wendigo comes from um, Algonquin Native American native folklore and says that long ago near the great lakes area in the dead of winter certain few men of hunting party unable to find food succumbed to their hunger and began to prey on their fellow huntsmen it is said that as expert hunters they lured their companions into elaborate traps with a false calm of food and warmth and a fleeting respite from the cold and winds of the unforgiving north 
Those unrelenting winds and near-constant snow provided the perfect opportunity for ambush as the cries and subsequent noises of the butchering and devouring of their friends would be muffled and carried off unheard, borne away from furthermore by the frigid gale. The sin, however, would remain a dark stain on their tormented souls. This This unforgivable act of murdering and consuming their fellow men condemn their souls to eternity uh, to an eternity wondering never to be accepted by ancient spirits it is told that this eternal damnation was too much for the lost souls and they became twisted deformed demented and grotesque and obsessed with devouring the flesh of men they searched and searched until they found and inhabited once again their old bodies, now decaying and rotting. The unnatural transformation that their souls had experienced bled over to their bodies and distorted their bones as well. Bones elongated, stretching and tearing the skin. Horns and claws formed as the creature took up the mantle of a hunter. Oh. Share a picture. Uh, give me one second. Okay. The legend says that so e- the le- legend says that so evil is the Wendigo that a very ground it walks upon is cursed. It withers and dies immediately, being about uh, withers and dies immediately upon being trudged on by the beast. So cursed is this creature to even happen once upon a chance, even to see it and live. One spirit would be forever stained. The mind would shatter and would never be the same. Let's so just see. seeing it, yeah. yeah. So. This is one version of mm-hmm. what it might look like. Of yep. course, this is an artist's depiction. Right. Because nobody knows what it actually looks like. Right. 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 So but got, it does. You uh, see the long fingers. Yeah. The, the arms are very, like, it's very skinny, gout stretched. Just cannibalistic looking. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have another version, which is, oops, which is along the line of, like, this deer-headed, antlered yeah. kind of... Still creepy looking thing, right? Yep. So let me give you some of the cases. Okay. Uh, one of the most returned to stories in the Wendigo lore is that of Cree Trapper called Swift Runner. Okay. Swift Runner was a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police and traded his furs with the Hudson Bay Company. He was a tall, strong man and very good at his job. He was well-liked and well-educated. He was married with six children and he adored them all dearly. In 1878, Swift Runner and his family, under extreme duress due to freezing, blizzard-like conditions, and lack of food, was quickly learning, uh, leading to star- starvation. Faced tragedy when their oldest boy succumbed to the toll that the cold and the lack of food was having on him and died. Swift Runner, then just 25 miles from Hudson Bay Company trading post, slaughtered his wife and five remaining children, butchering them and consuming their flesh in the stew that he kept throughout the winter. Post-thaw, Swift Runner arrived at the trading post without his family. Suspicions were immediate and made all the more substantial when he did not offer any explanation as to their whereabouts. Worried for their daughter and grandchildren, Swift Runner's in-laws pleaded with the Northwest Mound Police to investigate. Reluctantly, Swift Runner led officials back to his winter cabin and to a shallow grave where his oldest son was buried. He explained that his son had died of starvation and the mounted police were satisfied enough with that, that their explanation to move on and that it, uh, I'm sorry, the mounted police were satisfied enough with that explanation to move on. That is until a sergeant stumbled upon a human skull of the fan, like the one kid died. Okay. 
Right. No, but that's why they they were they were good with that (laughs) until somebody came across a human skull. Swift Runner tried to belay guilt and say that he hadn't any idea whose skull it was, but the gruesome discovery of human bones, innards, and skin strewn about the area soon had him confessing to murders and to cannibalism. The details with which he described the crime was far too vivid for a book like this, but suffice it to say that he has some very intimate knowledge of what happened. He stated that throughout the winter and snowstorms, his dreams had become tormented by a windigo. It would call to him while he slept and give him visions of the deaths of his, of his family. Soon, the visions haunted him, even during the daytime hours, and eventually he surrendered to the madness and became a windigo, killing first his wife, then forcing his second oldest to kill the infant as he was too busy with the middle child. <laughs> He murdered the second oldest lass, and it has taken the boy some time to, as it had taken the boy some time to kill the baby. Swift Runner then skinned and butchered the bodies and lift off their flesh until the thaw. A disgusted. This is a documented case. Yeah, uh, a disgusted and appalled group of soldiers escorted Swift Runner to Fort Saskatchewan, where he was tried and hanged for his crimes, but not before he was able to escape long enough to murder and consume his mother-in-law, who he said at his hanging was rather tougher than the rest. Oh, my God. Yeah. Another oft version of the Wendigo is that of Jack Fiddler, an OG Cree medicine man and chief. Fiddler was best known for being a Wendigo hunter, having 14 Wendigo kills under his belt during the course of his life. <laughs> These Wendigo... They're were... not just serial killers? Really? This guy killing the Wendigo? No, he's, oh, he's, killed he's killing win- okay. 14 oh, Wendigos. I was like, oh my God, he's got 14... No, he's, oh he's killed 14 Wendigos <laughs> okay. under Sorry. his belt right. through the course of his life. Or he's a serial killer. Right. These Wendigo were either, were either evil spirits sent by rival enemy shaman or members of his own tribe who had given in to some base desire for human flesh. In either case, it would fizzle duty to re- react quickly and without mercy, killing the creature before they could harm others. It was even forced to kill his own brother, Pete Flett, after he turned into Wendigo during a particular difficult season of famine. The legend of Wendigo was well known throughout the tribes, missionaries, and traders of the area, and dealing swiftly with them was a necessity. There are numerous reports of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh within the Hudson Bay Company records. In 1907, after a successful Wendigo hunt, Jack and Joseph, another of his brothers, were arrested for murder. It was later discovered that they had digested the flesh of their victims after turning Wendigo themselves. Jack committed suicide before his trial, but Joseph was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison. So they got infected, uh, possessed, whatever you want to say, of the very creature they were hunting. Aren't they just cannibals? But when you get when it gets when you get to a starvation point, right? But this is okay. So hold on. Okay. Th- th- throughout the 1800s and the 1920s, window ga- windigo cases were almost commonplace across the northern yeah. states and either uh, no- southern eastern areas of Canada. But those became more and more likely to be cases of windigo psychosis rather than actual windigo activity. Okay. So windigo psychosis. Now that these cases might sound like more po- like possessions or no- or or mental breakdown or insanity. Right? right, And that's because more than likely that's exactly what they were. As these cases were studied and because of the lore Wendigo so prevalent in the area, it was widely accepted that this indeed was Wendigo possession. The Wendigo is known to be able to sicken the mind and draw into a weakened and fragile state until it is no longer able to ward off possession. From there, it is a simple matter of the soul being twisted and warped by the pure evil of the creature and victims becoming Wendigo themselves. Hmm. 
As more and more cases begin to emerge and less and less actual physical sightings of the Wendigo reported, however, uh, reported, however, a new more medical train of thought was deployed, Wendigo psychosis. Wendigo psychosis is the undeniable urge to consume human flesh even when alternate food sources are available. Okay, so you got a bunch of berries around, but you're going to go eat your brother. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the International Statistical Classification of Disease and Related Health Problems, the ICD for short, details Wendigo psychosis this way. Rare historic accounts of cannibalism uh, or cannibalistic obsession. Symptoms include depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusion, compulsive wish to eat human flesh. Some controversial new studies question the syndrome's legitimacy, claiming cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented just to justify victims' ostracism or execution. So Wendigo psychosis eventually clipped the legend of the Wendigo. So the psychosis became bigger than the actual monster. It became a valid defense in court. Staying the execution of numerous numerous criminals who could claim such a disorder that is not much of a defense today. So basically, yeah, you can't eat people. You, well, they were saying they just went crazy. That they went crazy with the Wendigo uh, psychosis. Yes, versus they weren't actually possessed by right. the Wendi- Wendigo. Yes, they were. It, it now was their defense. They were using it like I, I ate. I, I ate, thought I was possessed, so I acted like I, I was possessed. Charles. Because I thought I was a Wendigo, yeah. I was really hungry. It was cold out. I didn't feel like going out. So I just... So where does this leave us? Uh, Is one of the most well-known urban legends ever nothing more than a cannibalistic mental illness? No. But our understanding of the Wendigo is a bit warped by a modern media take on the creature and the natural order of things being lost and forgotten. Much like the werewolf or the vampire, the Wendigo of legend is an alpha. There were only ever were a handful of actual Wendigo beasts. Those wayward hunters that we discussed earlier committed the ultimate sin, murdering and devouring their fellow tribesmen. It is not known how many men turned that fateful winter, but according to the legend, it was a certain few. These certain few are the Wendigo alphas, the true beasts of legend, the physical incarnation of pure evil, 15 feet tall, skin stretched and torn, horned and clawed. Uh, enunciated and... Uh, um, Emaciated and forever hungry, this ravenous hunter of man still haunts the northern forests of the U.S. and the southern, south, southeastern borders of Canada. It is cursed to do so for eternity, as neither heaven nor hell will accept it. Damned to devour human flesh, it is insatiable desire drives its ever onward killing and eating. From these creatures come the murderous and cannibalistic stories that we are most familiar with and that are most closely associated with the term Wendigo. Turning Wendigo refers to Wendigo psychosis and is, as we now know, a mental illness where the victim obsessed on consuming uh, human flesh. So um, it goes on to talk a little bit like you probably won't ever see one like a real Wendigo because they I hope not. They have extremely long hibernation habits and are rarely emerged from their depth of the caves except to feed. So, so if you see one, you're run. kind of like out of luck because it's right. Like it's going to eat you. Your lunch. The likelihood you'll ever encounter a true Wendigo is remote, and your survival is more. And if you do, your survival is even more remote. That's what I was so. just going to say, right? Like if you happen to be the, if you happen to be the one person stumble across him, you're going to just be missing. You're done. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a very. I had never heard like the the back the background. Like I said. I hadn't. Re- you brought it up today. I know like, that. Should we go over this? I thought. And I, I knew that really it was cool. kind of like an Indian folklore. 
I was thinking like it's almost like skinwalker ish. Yeah, kind it, of those it, types. It's, of I think things, it's probably right? in that same realm. Yeah. Um, I I think they're bigger along the Native American, tri- you know, yeah, uh, lands tribes. and yeah. tribes. Um, but it is interesting how though it also has been used by humans in a psychological psychology kind as a of way situation. to explain why they did what they did. they got why the Wendigo psychosis. Or... You know, I thought I was possessed, so I did the thing I was expected or to it's do. It's just an excuse. Yeah. It's probably a little both. Very interesting. Yeah. Very cool story. Thank Thanks. you so much yeah, for sharing that. So everybody, those are our stories for tonight. If you need anything or have any cool stories rather, please send them to us. We yes, appreciate it. Just send them over to, you can ping us on our Instagrams at Lamama 7 for Beth. And I'm at Greg underscore Lamontane. I think it's Greg underscore Lamont. It's one of those. Yeah. You find me. Um, or the Castro files. You can always find us on Instagram on the Castro files. Yes. I'll post the pictures out that we shared tonight yep. out there. And then also go out and check out the prior shows we've done. We've done some pretty cool ones. Yeah. We've done some Dybbuk boxes and you've done some creepy horror kind of like, like ghost story. mysteries. Yeah. And yeah. So there's other ones out there you can go definitely go check out. So with Absolutely. that, I love you. Thank you so much. Love it was too. fun. This is fun. I'll catch you. Thanks, we'll, I'll catch you next week, but I'll catch you whenever. And I'll, we'll catch you guys next week. Take care. <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs>